Hey guys, it's the Mount Rushmore Podcast. This is Jeff. I'm joined as always by Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. And we have a fun topic this week that Michael and Richard will debate and deliberate upon, and that is the Mount Rushmore of mid- and post-credit sequences in movies. Michael, what are those things? Those are those little kind of um, either halfway or at the end of a movie, some kind of interstitials yeah. um, that a movie will tag on to either promote another movie okay, or will kind of expand on what happened in the movie yeah. or maybe it's something else entirely different. Yeah. It's the things that the credits can have. The credits have grown to be this massive oh, yeah. three to five minute, if not longer, yeah. Uh, relay of information that's just like white letters on the black screen. Yeah. And like, you know, you watch a Star Wars movie and they don't have like end credit sequences or anything like that, but mm-hmm. like there are 10,000 people that are involved in making yeah. a movie from, and it's amazing, you know, credits list everyone now. It used to be just like, you know, filmed in Panavision and then fade to black and now it's like, this is the assistant to the craft services. Yeah. And this is the company that's that that's mm-hmm. provided. Mm-hmm. I love the production babies, especially on like Pixar movies. Oh, do they do that? They, oh, really? Yeah, if you ever that's watch really Wait Till the End, they do like all the kids who were like either bo- who were like literally conceived and born during yeah. the stretch of time it took to make yeah. this movie. And that's that's how their actual years. some of their parents actually find that out because they're so busy working that they have to look at the credits. But what the hell? <laughs> Twenty hours a day. Yeah. Oh my god, I got a kid. But I think that these are often. These things that we now, as audience, as moviegoers, we stick around yeah. longer than normally we would have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember going to movies and being like, "Movies, okay, let's go. We gotta yeah. go because you gotta beat parking." Yeah. But now you go see a Marvel movie or a DC movie or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and any sort of movie. They'll they just have like they'll have something either funny at the end or poignant or yeah. you know like. It's kind of sometimes they're actually part of the movie. Sometimes they're just like little throwaway gags or mm-hmm. whatever. They can be fun, you know. They, I think it can. I think they've existed for a long time too, longer than what we've come to know them as now. Yeah, I think that they are just kind of fun and silly. Yeah, I good. Okay, so uh, you have two weeks in a row chosen the topic, so I'm going to ask you to start this week. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, I'm going to live in the world of comic book movies. Sure. Uh, the very first post-credit sequence at the end of Iron Man. Yeah. Where Samuel L. Jackson is Nick Fury yeah. is standing in his Malibu home, mm-hmm. just kind of. And uh, Tony Stark just came back from this press conference announcing that he is Iron Man. Something that I guess they didn't. They he kind of ad libbed on set, hmm. or like he suggested that change at the end of the movie. Yeah. They were gonna just like cut it off before he said anything. Mm-hmm. And then in the end of the movie, he says, I'm Iron Man. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So at the end of the movie, Nick Fury, who is a very long standing Marvel character, he's mm-hmm. like the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. And usually he's like this white guy with an eye patch and he's like a super spy. Yeah. Uh, in the movie, he was played by uh, Samuel Jackson. Playing a white guy. Playing a white And oh, the nerds got it. <laughs> they didn't actually get upset. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. But he basically says to. to, to the Robert Downey Jr. character, he says, uh, you know, I saw what you did up there. I want you to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. Yeah. Which is basically, you know, the super team that Captain America and Thor and Iron Man basically found. Mm-hmm. They should make a movie out of they that. They should make a movie. <laughs> Better do really well. It's interesting that they put this on there as a teaser, not knowing what the next 
yeah. few years of movies were going to be. Iron Man could have been a flop. Yeah. It, it's he was relatively an unknown character, which is weird to say now because now he's like the face of yeah. Marvel, so to speak. And he wasn't an eight. He was the B team. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't Spider Man, and he wasn't Wolverine, and he wasn't Captain America. He was. He wasn't the X Men. Wasn't even Hulk. Wasn't even yeah. Hulk, which yeah. was their second film, mm-hmm. and that film bombed. Yeah. That film didn't do as well as they thought it was going to do. Mm-hmm. I don't. That's think. after they made a separate, uh, uh, two separate. They Hulk had another movies, Hulk right? movie before that. Yeah. So so the so the Incredible Hulk came out after Iron Man mm-hmm. and it was fine. It wasn't very good. It yeah. was uh, yeah. When did the porn version the Incredible <laughs> Incredible Bulk come out? I remember you sent me a text at some point, Jeff, that oh, no. had like the Incredible Sulk and it was Morrissey. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, this is so great." And it had like and there was another one with Robert Smith being yeah. sad doing something <laughs> comedy. But like so they put this in there not knowing Having kind of a blueprint of what they were going to do, and here we are 10 years later, yeah. and they put out 18, 19 films and flooded the market, and they ha- they're so successful. Yeah. But part of it was like this little, this, this little stinger at the end of the movie that kind of mm-hmm. has become kind of rote in what they do now. It's, it's a signature of theirs. Yeah, you have to have one, maybe two or three. Like the Last Guardians of the Galaxy movie had five things kind of littered in between it. It was like, yeah. All right, you love yourself too much a little bit. <laughs> but like I think that they are like you said, they're a signature of this sort of universe of movies that they kind of have to do now that other companies right. try to ape. Yeah. I feel like it, it in the Iron Man post-credit scene, they may have had f- enough of a fan connection to know that people are excited about this Iron Man film yeah. thing yeah and that they may have in executive uh, screenings realized that these guys at disney they're as a distrib no they weren't distributed by disney yeah it was before was they were disney paramount i, or think. I, who, I don't know who was yeah. still universal or somebody was distributing them but they were they probably knew that fans were excited about this thing and then also there's there's do-overs and take backs in, in film, you could definitely say, nah, we're not going to do that. That was yeah, a fun yeah, thing yeah. to put right at the end. Or we're not going to do it yet. We'll do it in a decade or so. <laughs> the, um, it's funny. You mentioned Sam Jackson playing a white character or whatever. In the late 90s, early 2000s, Marvel had rebooted their universe, so to speak. We talked about this last week a little bit, about companies that kind of reboot their yeah. universes. Well, what they did is they created like a little side universe. They kept everything that was going with Marvel Spider-Man still existed from the 60s, all the stories. But they're like, let's take the popular characters and retell their origin stories for a younger audience. And one of them they did was an Avengers title called The Ultimates. Mm-hmm. And they had a uh, Nick Fury character uh. that was the artist, Brian Hitch, based it the art on Samuel Jackson. Oh, is that right? Wow. Without Samuel Jackson knowing, without yeah. giving his likeness uh, an approval, they uh-huh. just he just drew yeah. him, basically. Yeah. So it's interest. So they basically created a whole new career or an additional career for Sam Jackson yeah. as this one character that, if he hadn't had been in the comics in some way, yeah, would people have revolted in that same way that these assholes yeah. do about any time a person oh. of color plays a, yeah. a white character that they do? They probably not. Yeah, but like, or maybe they would have. Mm-hmm. You know, these people are assholes. Yeah, I do imagine. 
he created Nick Fury based on sh- the character Shaft that was portrayed by <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson because yeah. Nick Fury seems like Shaft. <laughs> he seems like a badass dude. Who's, yeah. yeah uh, essentially. Cop. Well, what is it? I, You know, we talked about, um, we talked, our subject is post and mid-credit sequences, and we talked about what they are, but why they are is also still, I think, one thing that we're shaping up here. Uh, we did discuss the idea that maybe there's something to keep people interested throughout the uh, obligatory um, posting of every million people's person persons who worked on this film. But the idea that they also serve to measure audience interest or tease somebody for this next edition of a something mm-hmm. is something that feels very contemporary, the yeah. idea that... And then it seems like they are also replacing what Marvel has done before when they will also say it's not really a scene. It's just a a title that says blank franchise will return. Oh, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. I hate that. Well, what does that even mean? I don't know. know. Okay, Richard's tuning out, but let's tune him back in. No, I'm not tuning out. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting my turn because mine is also in the Avengers verse okay (laughs) so mine is from the avengers movie and it's the last stinger and it's where they are all sitting eating shawarma oh yeah that's Uh, pretty great um i love it because it's a i love it because most of the time these in credit scenes in in the marvel franchise are meant to impart some sort of big information yeah it's a way to get some sort of like it's to tease the Easter to, egg, yeah, or it's to tease, tease the audience about what's coming next, or whatever. Yeah, it's to get you excited for the next variation, yeah. whether it's going to be the next version of this movie or whatever the next of the yeah. very true eighty-seven movies we, that are going to be coming out the next two seen, years. We've seen the f- we've seen the f- the film of movie one. So begins the marketing for movie two. Right. And oh then, yeah. Yeah. And it's usually presented in a big dramatic sort of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is. Basically, the exact opposite of, of that. Mm-hmm. This is just just trying to fill in a gag that was set up earlier in the movie when Tony Stark mentioned something basically about wanting to live so he can take the guys to the shawarma place. Hey, I've never had shawarma before, yeah, but I want to go. Yeah, he's like flying around Manhattan fighting off these aliens. Yeah, and so we cut forward to the, at the end of the credit sequences. Uh, we cut to them sitting in a shawarma place, and they just... <laughs> Sort of like sullenly, like yeah. quietly, nobody's talking to each other. It's amid yeah. this destruction that, yeah. that, that they caused or yeah. partially caused it, at least. We thought they were fatigued by the siege of Manhattan. Shawarma has done them even one worse. <laughs> yeah, it's than, like, yeah, it's like somehow let, let's get some of the heaviest fried food yeah. possible in you right after <laughs> this. It's funny. It feels like it's <laughs> it feels like a like a post night out. Like uh, we just got to eat. Th- uh-huh. Just got to get garbage. We got to get food in us. So tired. We're gonna be so hungover the next. We're gonna be so hungover the next morning if we don't. Let's did just you, eat something. Uh, did you read about uh, Chris Evans? How uh, the guy that plays Captain America? How he's sitting there in the scene with his hand like covering his his yeah. mouth like this. He looks like he's falling asleep because he has a beard at that time for another role. So he's wearing like a prosthetic to cover up his. Oh, wow. Oh, funny. The, he was filming like Snowpiercer or something. Yeah. And so he's sitting there the entire time. He's he's the one that looks the most dejected, the yeah. most tired. <laughs> you know, he and he's just like sitting there just like so worn out and covering up half of his mouth, not an even un- eating. An unconvincing and unconvincing prosthetic. And they're just yeah. faking it. If you, there's like behind the scenes photos and it's like this god awful looking yeah. like rubber piece that's like 
covering his beard, and it looks yeah tremendous. But like you know, but, movie magic. Well, because they they didn't they actually filmed that after the movie's premiere in yeah. Los Angeles. It oh, wasn't that something right? that was shot. Mm-hmm. Like originally, it's something that I think they just sort of realized at the end. Like, hey, this would be a good bit. One of my picks later, they did the exact same thing. I'm oh, ex- did they? I'm excited to talk about. I'm it, yeah. amazed by the strength of Marvel Studios at that time and the idea that. We're not seeing individual movies. We're just seeing installments in a, a larger, ongoing right. franchise. So and that's the one. And then, of course, Avengers is the one that kind of brings it all together. So then, therefore, when any of these characters have their own movie, yeah. it's no longer just a the yeah. third in an Iron Man movie. It's also a continuation of the Avengers yeah. arc. But in that case, um, uh, Kevin Feige doesn't have to say to Disney, I want a big chunk of money to bring these celebrities back from their other movies so I can shoot this dumb scene of them <laughs> kind of in a food coma from shawarma. Right. Essentially, they're on a break from filming the next solo movie. They're off on their own. You know, it's, yeah. it's this ongoing thing. The one thing that I can think of as similar to what Marvel has done with these characters are the spate of films that Saturday Night Live stars have done. The feature films that SNL stars are Like comics. based on SNL skits? Yeah, based on SNL skits or based on the personas that, of SNL. Like For a while there, every Will Ferrell movie you knew might have Vince Vaughn in it. You knew might have also a couple of its other people. You knew there'd be cameos sort from these comics. Or you know. a Sandler movie would have Rob Schneider yeah, in it. And yeah. Steve Buscemi would be involved. Right. So it was somewhat of an ensemble of people that, uh, different movie, same identity, really. It's They're like what, yeah, the Sandler thing was like a Wes, An- Wes Anderson troupe, except, except dumber. Except stupid, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that... All these characters kind of existed, whether it was, whether it was, I don't know, whether it was, it, w- it might be called Anchorman or might be called Talladega Nights or might be called some you know, semi-pro, but you know that they're the same people doing the same doofus thing. And you know they're, there's going to be They're all in a school play just doing a, the new yeah. year's, produ- the new semester's production. What are we doing? Oh, we're doing the basketball movie this year. Okay, guys. Yeah. Okay. Get, get the basketball shorts. Get yeah. the prop department to blow up the basketballs. And you knew there'd be a cameo by one or the other, by Ben Stiller as the this guy or whatever. So Right. I I... The last thing I'll say about it is I just love the little touch of the non-superhero at the table. Well, not the only one, but the fact that Bruce Banner is the only one who seems to be actually enjoying the food. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) He has a Hulk-like appetite, I guess, because he's the only one who's kind of sitting there like, yeah, this is pretty good. Everyone else is like going from bored to disappointed in what they're eating. And God bless the guy that's actually operating the shawarma place that has had its windows blown in, (laughs) that's sweeping up the giant lizards or whatever that is attacked and is like still sat down to cut up some Got up some meats. Yeah. But I'm sure the, the, national, the National Shawarma Council was excited <laughs> about this opportunity. Can you imagine? Shawarma. Just, it's just, what's for dinner if you're eating at yeah. a shawarma place. Joss Whedon can't you know, get his wallet out at a shawarma place from here on through the rest <laughs> of his life. No, sir. It's on us. I, what I do love about that scene, too, is uh, if the uh, Avengers sequels were about this team breaking apart, that first film was definitely about them all coming together, and they don't really gel until the third act anyhow. So this final scene of them feasting together and breaking bread together is, even though it's kind of a silent coda for the whole thing, it's the ultimate proof that they were able to become a team, that they can just kind of sit there. and. But at the same time, they have nothing to say to each other. <laughs> yeah. Which well, kind of goes to prove the point that, yes, they can be a team, but they're also, like, incredibly diverse 
people. I think it's who the otherwise f- wouldn't get together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, Michael, what is your second? My second one is uh, another f- film that featured a scene that was added about a month after it initially came out, and that was Kip's Wedding in Napoleon Dynamite, a movie that I will continue to talk about incessantly, uh, that I love it. Um, at the end of the movie, uh, Kip and LaFonda, the, the girl, yeah, yeah, get yeah. married, and it's a ridiculous wedding. Napoleon rides up on this giant horse, yeah, and he says something you know, inane, like, I tamed this wild stallion for you, and Kip's like, hmm. <laughs> and Kip sings this ridiculous song that he wrote to LaFonda. I'm not remembering this at all. So when the movie first came out, uh, you know, it came out in theaters in like June of 2004. Yeah. That month they shot this scene and then added it a month later to con- to other re- to like a further release of the movie. Oh, wow. Because it had become, I don't know if like it had shown to be popular in yeah. that time. It went or from that- indie to big. Big, yeah, yeah, maybe within a couple of weeks they were probably like, oh, this is like a bigger hit than we realized. Yeah. Let's spend a few thousand dollars and film a ridiculous scene. Mm-hmm. And like LaFonda's family's all there, just sitting there, just shaking her heads. She's marrying this guy. Yeah. Um, but it's just this perfect little three to five minute scene that is, to- I mean, the entire film is unnecessary. Yeah. But like, it's totally unnecessary. And they did it just because they thought, oh, this would be funny. Yeah. Let's add this. And it happens like it says two, you know, like a little flash, a little card comes up and says two months later while you're watching the credits. And you're just like, oh, wait, what? It's not It's not about Napoleon. It's about this dumb love, the, the romance of Kip and LaFonda. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so perfectly done. And it's, st- everyone's in perfect character and it captures everything. Yeah. In just such a unique way. Uh, that film begat so many, I, I think it was kind of wonderful that it disrupted where comedy was going there was so much kind of like frat kind of i don't know more aggressive kind of comedy and that that film was disruptive in that after that i remember seeing so many quirky small comedies that were about the oddballs that Mm. have despite what we think about them have romances and have um desires to be distinguished in some way and uh i felt like that was a little bit of a in, in started kind of an indie trend. It always felt to me like a movie that Bud Court would have started yeah, in the yeah. 70s or yeah. something like that. There was that period of time where that there were movies like that. Yeah. And then the 80s, other than like your Revenge of the Nerds, which really isn't about that at all, mm-hmm. you, you know, you kind of lost those kind of movies about yeah. like the Quirky real loser type guys. Yeah, uh, It's funny because that is a scene. The wedding scene is a scene where the loser wins. Like Kip, like Napoleon's a loser in the movie who kind of wins through his big danced at the end and kip is this guy who's his you know much older brother who like finds love online in an unlikely person yeah and then you think oh this is never gonna work yeah he goes off on a bus with her he gets dressed up in like yeah (laughs) kind of her outfits that she's picked out for him Uh uh-huh and then he just leaves you know preston idaho and then comes back and it's like two months later it's like oh oh i guess they I guess they did find love. Yeah. I guess they are getting married. Yeah. And yeah. she is so thrilled to be married to this guy. Uh-huh. Uh, the loser getting right. Yeah. I think in an earlier podcast, we discussed what I, I, I said, what I thought was charming about that. And Napoleon ends up saving the day because he presents, here's a guy who tells all these lies about who he is. <laughs> and then at the end, he does this wordless dance that presents his authentic dorky self and gets 
applause for it. Like yeah. here he he lays it all on the line. So maybe Kip ends up doing that too. <laughs> he bears his ridiculous soul to Lafonda. Lafonda. Um, Richard. All right, so my second one are the outtakes from Cannonball Run. I was waiting. I was waiting. I was. You waiting. knew I. I was one waiting. of the two yeah, of us knew, was going to pull that one off. I was waiting to comment on that, but I knew one of you would say something. Oh, I rewatched it uh, today <laughs> in preparation, oh, and I, love I it. didn't realize that the majority of the outtakes are Burt Reynolds either hitting Dom DeLuise yeah. or threatening to hit Dom DeLuise yeah. as Dom DeLuise is cracking up and Burt uh-huh. Reynolds is. <laughs> yeah, come over here a second. Yeah. No, don't hit me. Don't hit me. Ha, ha, ha. And it's like, that's really not funny anymore. Yeah, it's abusive. It's, it's an awful. abuse. Yeah. This is an awful yeah. abusive relationship yeah. Yeah. is what this is. I know in his book, Hal Needham says he essentially invented that. Like he, as as a guy who was a second unit stunt director turned director. Right. And Cannonball One Run was his first, I think it was his first feature film that he wrote ostensibly. Right. Um, that... He just took a kind of uh, I don't I don't even know what you'd say like uh, austerity approach to it. If there was something funny, he found a way to put it in the movie. Right. And if he had to stick it in the credits, he would do it. So, uh, so he claims to have invented that. That uh, even though they're not scenes per se, they're outtakes. Right. Yeah. It was like yeah, just sort of like throw it all in there and yeah, you know, and it, it, it helped to further the persona of Burt Reynolds as kind of the cool. Yeah cool sort of like affable affable yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly that's one of the that's one of the great things about some of those new will ferrell movies is they do a lot of that stuff is you know so much of it is improv and they just like save it for the editing room floor and save yeah. it for like the post-credit sequence yeah when you can just like dump all the garbage things that mm-hmm. ron burgundy yeah. has to say into <laughs> listen we got another six minutes that we can just like barf it all out yeah and it doesn't have to be the best stuff, but it's going to be funny. Yeah. And anytime you see uh, comedians cracking up comedians, yeah, it's so yeah. good. Well, well, that's one of the th- and that's one of the bits actually is Dom DeLuise starts cracking up, mm-hmm. and Burt Reynolds gets mad, and, and Dom DeLuise is like, "No, he he started laughing first. And he's pointing at Dean Martin, who is like uh-huh. sitting there like rolling on the ground over yeah. something. Do you know what? Are, do you know what are incredible outtakes? Is anytime you see Muppets, like anytime oh, yeah. you see people. Anytime you see like outtakes with Muppets, like they're rude, they cuss, yeah, they make fun of whoever, whatever celebrity they're dealing with, yeah, the, uh, and they stay in character, <laughs> which is the best thing. Yeah, it's they're like, like cracking up. Yeah, they're just like the performers. You realize that the people that are, you know, behind the little felt characters yeah. are just like, oh, they're comedians, they're actors, they're staying yeah. in character, and you know, you're making. Tom Hanks talked to like a green frog uh-huh. and like and he has to believe he's talking to a green frog so he keeps talking like a green frog and he's like going to maintain eye contact with a puppet uh-huh. L- those things are so wonderful I- wasn't there a movie that came out that they just reused some of the cannibal, cannonball run outtakes as their outtakes at the end oh god really? it was I think it was uh in one of those Will Ferrell movies. I think it was, wasn't it? Where just threw in a couple of oh, those. Oh, like Talladega or something? Or like, like sounds, Anchorman 2 or something like that? It sounds right in there. <laughs> yeah. Wheelhouse. I, I remember the Stroker Ace post-credits are the, the, the bloopers and seeing... Uh, they all involve Lonnie Anderson's yeah. knockers, <laughs> yeah. basically jokes about well, that. Uh, Jim Neighbors, you know, breaking up in takes and things like that, you know. I remember as a kid thinking, this is incredible. I get to see, like, this behind-the-scenes shit that's yeah. happening. This must be what a film set's like all the time. It yeah. seems remarkable. Convivial goofballs. Uh, and I think back then when they were just all kind of drunk 
after 2 p.m. in the day, they're going to be drunk anyhow. So I'm, what I think they had back then, I remember shows. It's, it's cocaine. Co- they had cocaine. I remember there were shows that it was like uh, um, uh, America's Favorite Bloopers. Oh, TV's Bloopers TV's and Practical bloopers, Jokes. Yeah. Yeah, you'd see the occasion. Dick Clark and Ed McMahon, yeah. You'd yeah. see bits and pieces of uh, yeah people uh, from TV series like flubbing mm-hmm. lines, and that was the most hilarious thing. Yeah, so I do wonder if that predated those post-scenes. Well, you have the Kermit Schaefer uh, blooper series. Uh-huh. Are you familiar with those? Oh, sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah he was the, the father of the blooper, but of okay. course what he would do is he would <laughs> he had put out oh, these- Oh, the old blooper. <laughs> he would uh, put out these albums- that were uh-huh. supposedly like collections of radio bloopers and uh, TV bloopers. Oh yeah, but like three quarters of them were like made up, re re re, re, act, re like, dramatized dramatized versions of these yeah. bloopers that may or may not have happened. Yeah, a twenty one son galoot. Yeah, they, exactly. Yeah, fake announcer doing a fake fake thing. thing oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Um, I my favorite variation of this is the end credits to A Bug's Life. Oh yeah, where it's basically all it's a blooper reel. Mm-hmm. From from a Bug's Life, which is incredible. It's a blooper reel from a cartoon. We were talking about this earlier when you know you're forcing these people work twenty hour days. These yeah. animators are on a tight time frame. They've got to get this stuff done, and then they're like, "Hey, can you animate some fake bloopers?" <laughs> I haven't seen my kids. <laughs> I don't know what their name. I don't know what they look yeah. like. And you want me to sit here and yeah. drop a fake boom on, on top of like a bug's life? Yeah. And like when Julie Louis Dreyfus fake laughs. Yeah. You want me to animate? You want me to animate that? I don't know where I live anymore. My wife's left me. <laughs> that I would say I think it was Toy Story two. They had uh, Joan Cusack doing some outtakes as Jesse the cowgirl, and you did see the boom drop in. Yeah. You saw right. a clapper come in, and. It, Gave them so much more realness. It uh, did. Yeah, yeah. They breathed some life into the characters. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I I'm fascinated. If you ever want to read Hal Needham's autobiography, it's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I gotta check that out. Yeah. Uh, from hmm. the idea of his stunt career, you know, to his different 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 aspects of uh, innovation that he brought to stunts and to like uh, NASCAR and all that stuff. Is it's, it available on Audible? You know, it is available on Audible and you could go to, I believe it is available on Audible. Let's see who it's read by. Um, so if you want to support the Mount Rushmore uh, podcast and you want to uh, enjoy good literature, you could go to our trial. Uh, we're on trial, actually. <laughs> we should be guilty as charged. Crimes uh, against podcasting. <laughs> crimes against podcasting in your ears. AudibleTrial.com forward slash Rushmore. Um, and you can go to um, download a free audiobook uh, for a 30-day free trial. And you can try out different audiobooks uh, free of charge. One, you get for free. Uh, you don't have to return it after the 30 days are over. Whether you like the surface or not, you don't have to give it back. Um, but you can download, um, well, let me just plug this autobiography. Stuntman, my car crashing, plane jumping, bone breaking, death defying Hollywood life. Uh, that is a um, book by Hal Needham. There's probably some other fun, fun books that you can download in their audible form and listen to them versus reading with your stupid eyes. That's so dumb. Uh, by doing our 30-day free trial for Audible, audibletrial.com forward slash Rushmore. And there's 180,000 or more titles to choose for, from for your iPhone, Android, uh, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go there, try it out. If you don't like it, keep the book for free. For free! You don't have to give it back. 
You can also go to our Facebook page and our YouTube, our Instagram, and our Twitter and join the dialogue for Mount Rushmore Podcast by suggesting a topic you'd like us to debate or suggesting something we may have missed in a previous topic. Go to iTunes, download, rate, and review our previous episodes. You could also do that on Stitcher. We'd appreciate hearing from you and finding out what you like. Uh, I guess there's other podcasts out there, and I guess I know we would like to support them. And one of the podcasts you could support is this one that's promoed right here. And proudly resents. We proudly resent some of our favorite good bad movies with great comedians and interviews with the people who made them, like Lloyd Kaufman from Trauma Films. Let's say you want to crush a head like Toxic Avenger. You take a cantaloupe, carve out the inside, then you put in hamburger mixed with cranberry sauce, then you put a wig on the cantaloupe and paint a little happy face. Bingo, it's how we crush the head. For more interviews and reviews, check out Proudly Resents on Stitcher, iTunes, and ProudlyResents.com. So it's interesting that you mentioned Hal Needham and that uh, the movie that I'm going to bring up is Rumble in the Bronx. Oh, right on. Nice. And the post-credit oh, sequences yeah. are yeah. the amazing flubs and gaffes yeah. and injuries uh, by Jackie Chan and yeah. his cadre of performers. Mm-hmm. And it is really such a wonderful sequence. It has like this great rock song. It's like this go-go Jackie Chan rock song that's playing underneath it. Yeah. And, you know, this movie is like peak Jackie Chan. It was right. It was like one of his first like American movies that kind of came out. It was put out in American cinemas. And I remember seeing it being like, this guy is incredible. And then you're like, oh, yeah, you know, he does all his his own stunts. You're like, wait, what? Oh, he does everything. He jumps across the thing. He does all the stuff that he's running up the walls and jumping through like shopping carts. Yeah. And the... uh, the kind of outtakes that plays during the credits are like he gets yeah. stuck in in the shopping cart. He jumps onto a hovercraft mm-hmm. and breaks his ankle. Yeah, and then the next shots are him being carted off, and you know, thirty seconds later in the outtakes, he's wearing a, like a walking cast yeah. with a fake tennis shoe, so he can go back and film. And you're yeah. just like, who is this amazing <laughs> Superman that is, you know, five foot four and just like yeah. has all the energy in the world? And he's like Charlie Chaplin meets Bruce Lee. This, yeah. Yeah. yeah, this movie is incredible. He has a like a duel in a Lamborghini against a hovercraft with a giant sword, and you're just like, I am so in. Yeah, yeah, on it's like, everything you're selling. It's like this new Mission Impossible movie. Everyone's raving about all the stunts. Tom Cruise, like, get out of here. Yeah, this guy cracked his skull open. Yeah. And just like got up and it's like, okay, let's do another take. These that the credits are great because you see like you know, all the different actors and stunt performers, you see them get hurt and then immediately you see this the entire production stops and everyone rushes in. Yeah. Someone falls down, it's just like vroom, vroom, and they're always <laughs> and you see like his like his scary smile, like, uh-huh. like Jackie Chan's smile of like him almost dying. Yeah. And he's just like Whoa, just, <laughs> you can't believe it and but like turns to the camera and gives a big thumbs up. Uh-huh. And you're just like, Man, I I love this guy. You yeah. can't act for shit. Yeah. But you give everything. It is funny, yeah, to see him like punch some guy and then turn to the kid and go, Stay in school, don't do drugs. <laughs> Honor your father. Chop, 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 pow, 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 pow. You guys you guys going down wrong path. <laughs> I was a little bit disappointed when somebody I said, Oh no, Jackie Chan. Yeah, Jackie Chan gets followed around with on a movie set with five guys who are dressed just like Jackie Chan <laughs> and they all kind of audit to see who can do the stunt. If Jackie doesn't think he can do it, which is most of the stunts. Yeah. 
There's all these guys who are dressed just like him. Or Can getting you ready. imagine a stunt that he think he thought was too difficult yeah. for him to do? Dear God, in the who's who's the guy that's slightly brain dead? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he can do that. It's like the Let's uh, convince him to to make that leap. It's the Michael Keaton copy of a copy version for yeah. mul- multiplicity, <laughs> except it's Jackie Chan. There was a funny story of Burt Ward uh, from <laughs> Batman. Hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, getting in the Batmobile to do some kind of very challenging driving stunt, and he was kind of surprised that he no he gets in the Batmobile to see, and he starts talking to uh, uh, Adam West, and then realizes it's not Adam West, it's Adam West's stunt double who's in there because it's a dangerous stunt, <laughs> and uh, he asks, "Well, where's my stunt stunt double?" Double, he goes, uh, "He looks too much. He doesn't look enough like you. He he's not going to do the stunt. Yeah, you know, they don't want him doing the stunt." <laughs> and he said he went to the hospital like three times in the first day of taping. Batman, because the stunt double wouldn't double for him. Uh, kind of funny. Okay, uh, Richard. All right, this is from the movie Airplane. Oh wow! And talk about a continuation. This yeah, this one is a long played joke. That's it is right. a yeah. long played joke. So at the very beginning of the movie, Ted Stryker is yeah. a uh, cabbie, and he decides to go in to try to go to the airport to try to convince the love of his life to uh, get back with him. So he leaves his fare at the airport waiting there. <laughs> Says, I'll be right back. And then we don't see him for the rest of the movie yeah. as he goes on the plane. Plane, you know, everyone gets incapacitated. He has to fly the plane, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Very end of the movie. Go through the credits. Cut back. All this time, same guy has been sitting there in the cab. And he just look, kind of looks his watch and goes, all right, 20 more minutes, <laughs> but that's it. <laughs> that's the end of the movie. That's the end of the movie. And I just love it because in this movie that is so like irreverent and well, silly. so fast paced. Mm. Yeah. You've got jokes and then I mean, it was the first one of its kind that really had these sort of like oddball. Yeah. Joke the whole point minute, of it yeah. was just a joke a second. Bang, bang, bang. Just things bouncing off all over the place. That they still had time to set up this the one joke that they took time on. Yeah. That wasn't just like rushed and hey, let's go, binga bunga bunga bunga. Yeah. Is this thing that they just set up for the entire movie? Yeah, and then kind of let go on you. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, and they let this extra, you know, this seventy-five look year old, eighty year old looking guy, have this like one moment of just comedic yeah. perfection. It wasn't one of the main characters. It wasn't anyone you knew. It was just mm-hmm. this one guy. Who just got this perfect gem of a line at the very end? Yeah, and I think it's just it's it's indicative of the way their minds worked. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of just like if there's a joke, we're gonna make it. Yeah, and I I I who knows? They may not have even I don't know, who knows if they wrote the script knowing that that was gonna be a a stinger at the end, or if they yeah. got like through the script and were like, oh wait, we never did anything with that guy. Maybe we can do something at the very end. You know, I, I could see that happening because that's just the way their their brains seem to have worked. You know, it's funny. Just I had heard an interview with the the Abrams Zuckers, or, and uh, I thought for some reason I thought he was one of their parents. But he is Howard Jarvis, who was a consumer rights activist who led a campaign in California for the Proposition Thirteen, which cut property tax. Yeah, that was his. That was him. He's got two credits. Being an airplane and then being on Johnny Carson show to talk about being an airplane, but of the Har- of the Jarvis uh, Tax yeah. uh, Bureau, he founded of the people. Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. Uh, 
it's so funny. Which is a good rule of thumb, by the way, if you're voting in California. A little pro tip from me. If the Howard Jarvis Tax Bureau, whatever they're called, yeah. um, is for a measure, vote against it. Oh, you're, you are- Go vice versa. You are the making this around. up. You, you are familiar with the Howard Jarvis Tax Bureau. Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, and, 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 and they are one of those, like, no taxes are ever good. Yeah. You know, we should- we should basically all taxes should be like abolished. Yeah, schools you know should have to pay for themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's a really good it's a good theory if you ever yeah. have to vote and you see that they're opposing something it's probably a good sign to vote for it. Uh-huh. I didn't know that. that That's is fascinating. It is a funny How, ooh, observation wow. that in a film that is full of short term payoffs and in in some things that are like a cartoon in which something happens in a cartoon you know. Tom and Jerry can have a bomb explode, and then a scene later, they their faces aren't charred anymore. That they they're going on their merry way, and that right. film had those things happen where one second a nun is playing guitar, you know, or singing Aretha Franklin or something right. like that, and the next scene we don't see her anymore. So that that is the long con, the one that. long con in the whole yeah, movie. Yeah. I mean, you have like recurring bits, but you yeah. don't have anything that just like takes that long to like unfurl. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, oh, I was gonna say Rumble in the Bronx. One thing I. It was one of the first movies that I remember thinking, this is called Rumble in the Bronx, but it so clearly takes place in Toronto because oh, like, yeah. the that, spray, was, yeah. that was almost in my list of things that ruined movies a few weeks ago that we did. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. Was, was when Vancouver is used as the stand-in for <laughs> yeah. New York or whatever city yeah. that they needed to stand for. It's like, yeah. I've been to both cities and they do not look anything alike. <laughs> the spray paint uh Graffiti says, darn, you know, or like the, that's the cleanest trash I've ever seen. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, jeez. There's a very self-referential part in like an Austin Powers movie where like he's he's driving his Shaguar uh-huh. and he's like, it's amazing how much the English countryside looks exactly like Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. The last one is what, Michael? Uh, my last pick. You know how we started uh, with the Iron Man and it was all about how the promise of What's going to happen in these next movies? It's going to lead to this huge universe, and 20 movies later, you're like, I can't wait for the next Avengers movie. Like, yeah. Avengers 4 is going to come. I, I'm so excited. Emily and I watched Avengers 3 the other night, and she was like, oh, holy shit. That's, you know, yeah. wow. Yeah. The movie Masters of the Universe <laughs> oh. Good one. had a end credit sequence oh. uh, where... At the call in at the end of the movie, He Man throws down Skeletor into this giant pit mm-hmm. in Castle Eternia or Castle uh-huh. Grayskull, I should say. And you know, he saves the day in an otherwise kind of worthless garbage movie. And you know, it's a garbage movie when they're like, uh, let's set 70% of it on Earth. Oh, let's get let's get off of like the really exciting, yeah, you know, barbarian, futuristic it's planet. Too expensive, yeah. Let's put them in the valley, <laughs> and it very much takes place like in the valley. But at the end of the movie, they go back to uh, Eternia, and their He-Man fights Skeletor in this epic battle. He-Man wins, credits roll. Then there's like this really poorly weird pink lake sort of thing, mm-hmm. and. Franklin Jella as Skeletor's bald head pops up and says, I'll be back. Uh, and like, oh, he's used Schwarzenegger's most famous line. <laughs> and he's had that line for five or six movies at this point in the yeah. late 80s. They did. He, he did not come back. <laughs> well, who was he talking to? I, I guess the audience. The audience. Breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. He pulled a Ferris Bueller, I guess. <laughs> yes. And like, 
he's like, you're just like, oh, is Skeletor, are they going to have another? And then, no, this movie made no money. And that's that's how you, you can add a stinger <laughs> and expect maybe there's all this promise and then it's like, you know what? The movie fucking sucked. I would love if that was one in a bunch of takes where he was supposed to say, like, he was just supposed to go, ah! <laughs> that's he, all, folks. Frank Langella was so desperate for work that he and the other actors would just turn to the camera and go, there'll be a sequel. I love that. Cut. They, no, there won't. <laughs> I love that like they made Frank Langella like, sit in this, this, pink, this pink water and just... <laughs> The la- Frank, the last thing you ain't got to do. Yeah. We got to do more of these movies? <laughs> like, there must have been two thoughts. No. One, you got to pop your head up. You got to be submerged underwater in all this makeup <laughs> and say this thing. And two, you might be contracted for Oh, shit, movie. no. <laughs> That's what you get when you work for a Canon film. Yeah. Oh, oh. That, um, I think there is a Canon documentary there on is. Netflix that is great. It's very good. These, oh, I got they're all out. shysters. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a wild story. Uh, Ricardo. All right, you mentioned it in your last uh, mm. your last. Uh, that almost made my list. The Ferris Bueller's Day Off yeah. uh, fin- oh. final nice. credit nice. scene. Um, so there's a, it's actually two parts. The first part is Principal Rooney. Yeah, walking through yeah, the yeah. Uh, bus after he's uh, got his ass kicked in, by the uh, dog and Jennifer Grey at Ferris's house. And uh, trying to find a place to sit and just being absolutely miserable while Oh Yeah is playing. And then the second part is Ferris coming out and just sort of looking at the camera going, what are you still doing here? Movie's over. Yeah. yeah. Go home. Go home. (laughs) (laughs) Which I just love because it's in a movie that breaks the fourth fourth wall so many times. Yeah. This is the last bit of like true fourth wall mm-hmm. breaking, where it's not just it's not just him talking to the camera, but it's actually meta at this point, where he's acknowledging that it's a movie and that you're a person in the audience who is watching him. Yeah. What's nice is that these post credit sequences are like they're like rewards. Like if you have stuck through five minutes of like just credits, which are usually pretty boring, like you get a little something at the end. And that is like the perfect like cherry on top of this movie where he comes out and he's literally talking to you, the audience member, sitting there saying, "What you, you did? Wh- why? This isn't anything interesting. This isn't like a great joke. This is just like, go away. Go home. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. So I'm one of those people who actually sits through the movie whether or not there's a, a post credit scene coming. So it's just part of what Sarah and I do. Like we just sit there and... That's our time to start talking about the movie and what we thought about mm-hmm. it and we liked and didn't like. And yeah. It's just sort of nice to be able to just sort of, oh, hey, that's who did the song to that. I was wondering who did that song. Okay. Do you do you see movies a lot just with Sarah? Um, not, what, not that much, but we get out, you know, maybe, I don't know, once a month. Do you, okay, when you go with it, because I guess my question is, because I, we obviously, Felix is not old enough yet to sit through He's not old enough to sit through like four minute video on TV, let alone go to a movie theater. I'm with Felix, <laughs> but like unless, unless I imagine unless, unless Jeff is nursing, <laughs> then he goes right to sleep. I, imagine, I have offered so many goddamn times. <laughs> I imagine that like when you take the kids out, I know you guys go to the drive-in a lot though, but like when you take the kids out to go see a film, 
I'm sure that the last thing they want to do is sit to the end. And I'm sure that they're just like bouncing off the walls, just like peeling themselves yeah. off. Like, let's, I got to get back to an iPad someplace. No, they're fine, <laughs> actually. They? Yeah. Huh. Partially because they're wa- they want to see if there's an in, in credit or not. So they're oh. inducted. So they're now, That's great. they now yeah. sup- expect that most movies will have something. That's at interesting. That must have been difficult when they're for kids or parents when they're to balance that when there wasn't mm-hmm. that. You're. Your first Bueller uh, reference made me think of Animal addressing the screen in the Muppet movie. Yeah, that's actually yeah. the, you know, everyone thinks the Ferris Bueller is being the first time that happened, but mm-hmm. Animal, it's basically ripping off yeah. Muppet movie. I did love that as a kid. I remember thinking that Animal's talking right to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, so I'm really fun about And that. I don't know that any end credit scene has been spoofed more times than mm-hmm. Ferris Bueller. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Deadpool one, for example, where he comes out and gives the exact same speech wearing the same robe robe and everything yeah oh my god i i have long i i I only saw ferris bueller once in the theater so it did it was not a mainstay or like a touchstone really so i saw the i saw deadpool do that and didn't even i don't think i even thought it was i thought what did i what do i not know what are these kids doing with their fidget spinners and their yolos (laughs) what that this all of these kids in their yolos they're all their yolos don't touch your yellows, kids. Yeah, don't touch them. Not, uh, so wait till the end of the podcast. Okay, this has been the Mount Rushmore of uh, the mid and post credit sequences from films. Uh, it has been fun to discuss, and especially in a summer when there's a lot of these big, big budget movies that have a lot of these things in them. So because I was a huge fan of Iron Man, I'm going to pick Iron Man, the Nick Fury uh, scene. Uh, I... I'm a huge fan of Cannonball Run and loved all that stuff when it was happening back in the 80s when I saw it. And uh, and so uh, Cannonball Run is one. I'm a big fan of that shawarma scene from the Avengers, so we picked that guy. And going to go with that airplane scene because I love that it gave the, um, the long con to the end credits. So uh, this is the end of the podcast. Uh it's been the Mount Rushmore of post and end and credit scenes and stuff like that. Please My, stay. Please stay through all of the credits. This is totally the end. <laughs> My name's Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. Hey guys, you know what would be really lame okay. is if we did the whole like let all the music play at the end. Okay. And then we came back and we did oh, like, yeah, a little, like, like like like. Or would that be lame? I don't know. Is that too expected? I don't know. Like, now now that think? we're saying it, I wonder what they will. I'm gonna basically. I flubbed my line just there, guys. I co- <laughs> oh, 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 Hold on, I'm going to fall down these stairs and break my ankle. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs>